What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and I'm back with another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? Ethan, man, how are you? I'm excited, Chris, because you know what time it is. It's time for another episode of Hey, Chris. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. First question comes from Andrew from Cleveland Heights. Do you feel that DG can accept the challenge of being a more studied defender, finding a niche like Spida, quoting the passing lane patrol? Darius is somebody who has given effort on the defensive end of the floor, but I just think there's a reality to the kind of upside that he has as a defender. He's got physical limitations, and those are always going to hold him back. He's not the biggest. He's not the strongest. He doesn't have supersized arms like Donovan Mitchell does, so he's probably not going to get a whole bunch of deflections and get into the passing lanes. He's quick. He's athletic. I think that's going to lead to some steals. But in terms of like just being a pesky on-ball defender, I just don't think that's something that Darius is ever going to thrive in. I think he's always going to be somebody who needs some protection behind him in the form of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen and maybe even Isaac Okoro in certain lineup situations. And I think that's important to mention, Chris. Like The whole reason that the two small guard lineup works with the Cavs is because they then have the two big men in the paint to help them when anything goes wrong on the defensive end. The Cavs know this and they partnered them together for that reason. So those two things go well together. And also it can be said that the four guard lineup with Jared Allen or Evan Mobley can work as well, depending on how the defense is set up and what the personnel is looking like on rotation basis. But we're going to get into that later today. Next question. What will the rotation be now with Garland and Mobley healthy? Oh, maybe we get into it a little quicker. Do you think Donovan will continue to get reps as the point guard in certain lineups as well? Yeah, I mean, I think Donovan's going to be the backup point guard, just like Evan Mobley is going to be in the starting lineup, but he's going to be the backup center. Donovan Mitchell is going to be in the starting lineup, but I think he's going to be the backup point guard. I think J.B. Bickerstaff is going to stagger Darius and Donovan throughout the course of the game. I think he's going to do it more frequently than maybe he would have been comfortable doing at the beginning of the year because Donovan has shown such a capability of running the team. And because I think the Cavs feel like they've got other components on the bench that can step into the shooting guard spot with Donovan running the point. One of those guys, obviously, being Sam Merrill. It's a way to get him more touches. It's a way to get him more playing time. It's a way to get him more shots. Karis LeVert is obviously going to play some de facto point guard as well as playing shooting guard. So I do think it's something that JB is going to continue to explore. And given the effectiveness that Donovan has had in terms of running the team, making his teammates better, getting guys in an early rhythm of the game before he starts getting his rhythm, I think that's all something that Darius can take notes on. And I think that's all something that can carry over no matter whether Donovan is playing point guard or shooting guard. I think there's going to be an offensive setup where it's not just, okay, one guy's going to dominate possessions and get the team in the offense. We saw it a little bit last night against the Los Angeles Clippers. Like it's still going to be a whole bunch of guys involved on a possession to possession basis 
It's just a matter of who's going to start that possession and who's going to finish that possession. But I just don't think we're going to see a lot of possessions where it's Donovan dominating the ball or Darius dominating the ball at the top of the key and like waiting for high pick and roll situations. I think it's going to be the same kind of movement, both with the ball and away from the ball. I think Jared's going to get his touches. I think Evan will get touches. I think Donovan will get touches. I think Darius will get touches. I just think it's going to be that democratic approach that we've seen over the last month, month and a half. And if that means Darius's assist numbers drop a little bit so that Donovan's can stay similar to what they are, then so be it. Darius is just going to have to adapt to playing more off the ball and not dribbling the air out of it. And to resort back to the beginning of this question about the rotation, I know that we've mentioned that J.B. Bickerstaff likes his 8 9 possibly 10, and even got a little upset admitting that he would go to an 11-man rotation if needed. But I wanted to get your order of who you would think. I got mine listed, so I'm going to go first so you can hear these names and then get your opinion on who you might switch. So I have Donovan, Darius, Max Struess, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen as the first five. Then you go Karis LeVert as the sixth man, Sam Merrill, Isaac Okoro, George Niang, and then rounded out with Dean Wade and Craig Porter Jr. as an 11-man rotation. Yeah, so the only thing that I would flip, I would flip Dean Wade and Sam Merrill, and I think that's the way that the Cavs are looking at it too. I think there are going to be games, Ethan, where the Cavs need the movement of Sam Merrill, they need the shooting of Sam Merrill, they need the gravity of Sam Merrill, and I don't think he can just be eliminated from this rotation. He's too valuable. He's too much of an offensive weapon. But I do think that Dean's versatility on the defensive end of the floor is something that J.B. Bickerstaff will lean into. And I think that gives him a little bit of an edge over Sam Merrill. Dean can guard 3-4. If they have to downsize and play him at the 5, he could theoretically do that as well. And I think just given the amount of elite perimeter offensive players in this league and the fact that Isaac Okoro is no longer going to be in the starting lineup. I think the Cavs are going to try and maximize the fact that they have both Isaac and Dean that can handle those types of matchups in a different kind of way. And it doesn't mean that Sam is a terrible defender or he's somebody who's going to get picked on on the defensive end of the floor. I just think Dean provides enough floor spacing, enough shooting, and enough positional versatility to go with better defense than Sam, that for a majority of the games, not taking into account matchups, not taking into account game flow, not taking into account circumstance and situation, I think for a majority of the time, Dean is going to get more of an opportunity than Sam Merrill. Right, and you alluded to what I was going to get into, Chris, like these lineups and these rotations change based on the matchups and they have to and that's what we were talking about in the last episode of the wine and gold talk podcast that we are excited to see what jv biggerstaff does with this healthy roster because there are a lot of guys that have proven themselves to be worthy and caliber players enough to not only be in the starting rotation but to earn minutes off the bench if they're not in that starting rotation i mean that's what it comes down to to me ethan is that during this stretch where Evan and Darius have both been missing at the same time, it allowed JB to use different guys to try different lineups and combinations, and it gave him trust 
that if he needs to go to Sam Merrill in a certain situation, that he can, and Sam more than likely will deliver. At the very least, he'll be ready for that opportunity. And he can make plays and be effective in that kind of opportunity. If JB feels like he needs to go to Craig Porter Jr. Because of what he's already seen from Craig during these absences, he knows he can go to him and he has a better idea of what Craig is going to give him than if the Cavs would have been riding this thing out fully healthy and they didn't have a need to tap into their depth. They didn't have a need to play Craig Porter Jr., Sam Merrill, and try some of these different combinations. Like JB wouldn't have as much trust in going to those guys or going to those particular lineups in meaningful games. It gave him an idea of what he has on his bench and the capability of the players on his bench. And that is going to allow him, when needed, to expand his rotation or to call on guys at a moment's notice and feel like, hey, I can go to you and I can know what I'm going to get from you because I've seen it before. All right, Chris, next question. Based on what you've seen in practice, etc., meaning like warm-ups before games, I'm assuming, do we foresee a hesitation with Garland and his aggressiveness toward the hoop? No, I don't think so. I think Darius understands that, you know, some of the injuries that he's dealt with throughout the course of his career, including this one, where he just like banged into the hip of Kristaps Porzingis. They're fluky. They're going to happen. It's basketball. It would be nice if it didn't lead to a fractured jaw. Like maybe he just bruised his jaw or like he had a facial bruise or something like that. Like fractured jaw kind of takes it to a different level. But I don't think it's something where he's looking at it saying, all right, I've got to change my style. I can't be as attack minded because that's who he is. That's who he's been throughout the course of his career. He's still going to try and get downhill. He's still going to run pick and roll with either Jared Allen or Evan Mobley. He's still going to try and collapse the defense and make them make a decision. And sometimes that's going to lead to him creating shots for himself. And other times it may lead to him creating shots for his teammates. But I just don't think that there's anything that has happened so far up to this point, including the stylistic changes that the Cavs have made during Darius's absence that are going to make Darius be a completely different player than the one that we've seen throughout the course of his career. Like, yeah, there are little adjustments that he he's going to have to make. And those are predicated on how the Cavs have been playing without him. And those are predicated on how the Cavs want to play moving forward. But that's not a major change that he's going to make within his game. It's going to be subtle adjustments here or there to try and better blend into the fabric of the team. And I think J.B. Bickerstaff needs to find certain pockets throughout the course of the game where He can just allow Darius to be Darius, right? Tap into the things that make Darius elite and blend those with the other things that you want to do on the offensive end. And I think Darius and also Donovan Mitchell, who's been point guard for a while now, are under the realization that the drive to the basket can be almost like a play fake in football you can basically take off say that you're going to go to the basket and it'll create not only the defense to crash in into the interior but it would allow for other players to be open as well because everybody around the league understands how dominant Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell can be if they get into the painted area because of how crafty they are but they also can't leave their man so there's a dual threat application in that kind of sense like if they're going to the basket then 
it'll either draw in defenders and they can open up for other players, which is also how Donovan Mitchell has become a higher facilitator than he was when Darius was on the court with them earlier in the season. Ethan, that's something that J.B. Bickerstaff has talked about this entire season. Like, yes, even during this stretch, the Cavs are hoisting more threes. Only Boston is shooting more threes than the Cavs over the last month plus. So that's a lot, obviously. But it's not a situation where guys are just dribbling the ball across half court and they're just jacking threes early in the shot clock. A lot of it starts with who touches the paint first. Let's see if we can attack the defense force them into a predicament where they've got to pick their poison. And if they collapse the way that they probably need to against a guy like Donovan Mitchell or a guy like Darius Garland or even Karis LeVert, that leads to spray outs. Or if the Cavs run second side actions or something along those lines, those can start with Jared Allen at the high post or Jared Allen in the post or Jared Allen from the pocket. So like a lot of their offense, even during this stretch, is predicated first on them attacking defenders, getting into the paint and looking for the next option from there. So this is still a team that wants to attack the paint over and over and over again and try and win the paint. And if a defense is not going to collapse, then that could potentially lead to layups or floaters or dunks or things along those lines. All right, Chris, last question before we take a break. How willing do you think Max Struess would be to come off the bench or play more limited minutes to make room for Dean Wade or even Isaac Okoro in an offense or defensive swap. And this subtexter is saying that it seems like Max's spacing might be less critical given the improved shooting from the other two and their defense has definitely been better. I know how you feel about Max (laughs) Drews and what he brings to the game, so I'm going to let you go in depth on this one. (laughs) No, I mean, like Max stylistically is the kind of two-way small forward that this organization has been looking for for the last couple of years to complete their starting five. They knew for years that they needed somebody like Max to allow this offense to reach its full potential, to bring the core four together. I don't know what you want to call it, core five, whatever, But Max is a big part of what the Cavs have been able to do on the offensive end and what they're going to continue to do on the offensive end of the floor. He is way too valuable to how this starting lineup functions and how this team functions overall to think about making him uncomfortable in any sort of way or taking him out of his rhythm in any sort of way. And I think this starting lineup, especially if it's going to be a combination of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen in the starting lineup, and it is. For the foreseeable future, they need Max's gravity. They need his three-point shooting. They need his floor spacing. With him on the court, the Cavs have a net rating of 7.8. So they are outscoring opponents by 7.8 points per 100 possessions. They have an offensive rating of 115.1 and a defensive rating that is respectable, by the way, of 107.2 because he's tough. He's ferocious. He tries really, really hard on defense, even though he's not the best defender in the world. I think everybody would admit that. He brings an edge to this team. 
that is absolutely needed. And when he's off the court, they simply do not function at the same level. They are minus 2.5 in terms of net rating. So being outscored by 2.5 points per 100 possessions with Max off the court. Like the only one who makes a bigger difference in terms of the on-off net rating for the Cavs is Donovan Mitchell. So that tells you how important Max Struess is to the way this team functions at both ends of the floor. And I just don't think the Cavs can afford to do anything to mess with Max Struess in any sort of way. And there's no reason for them to change his role because he has excelled in the role that he earned from this team. And also, Max Struess is currently fifth in the league in defensive win shares. And the only person ahead of him who you mentioned earlier is Donovan Mitchell. And he's number one. Actually, I lied. Evan Mobley's up here at number two as yeah, well. It certainly helps to be part of the Cavs <laughs> when it comes to defensive metrics. <laughs> yeah, so one and two is Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley. And then number five is Max Struess. They just need everything that he brings to the table. Like I said, they need his edge. They need his competitiveness. They need his experience. They need his gravity. They need his floor spacing. They need his shooting. They need his off-ball movement and cutting. And there just isn't anybody that they could go to in the starting lineup that could replicate that at the same level. All right, Chris, we're going to take a quick break. But I got to put our subscribers on to something new. For our listeners... If you like food and drinks, and who doesn't, Cleveland.com is breaking new ground with our lively new podcast about dining and drinking in the greater Cleveland area. The hosts talk about the latest foodie happenings joined by the most in-the-know experts in town. It's called Dine, Drink, CLE, and you can find it anywhere you download podcasts. Give it a listen and quench your thirst and feed that appetite. When we come back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, you guessed it, we're going to take more questions from our subtexters continuing this rendition of Hey Chris. But before then, become a Cavs insider and interact with me and Chris by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash calves and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word stop. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the calves from Chris and myself. We'll be right back. All right, Chris, first question coming back from the subtexters is from Brian from San Diego, who asks, what are your thoughts about the Cavs acquiring Andre Drummond from the Bulls for the Cavs stretch run and playoffs, as well as for the next couple of years? Yeah, they've done that one already. He was here and he had to get taken out of the lineup and sat on the bench because he just like wasn't playing within the fabric of the team. He was trying to do Andre-related things. And it was a tricky situation for Andre, especially given what he was brought here to do. And then the Cavs brought in Jared Allen. They were able to trade for him. And then they were in a different situation. I just don't think his playing style lends itself to the kind of winning basketball that the Cavs are looking for. So even though he's a big body, even though it's somebody who could theoretically match up with Joel Embiid in the playoffs, 
I just don't think that's the type of player that the Cavs want to bring to this organization. He's a little bit too much of a me guy when it comes to playing style. And I don't think that they have a big time need for a backup center either. They only have so many resources going into this trade deadline and they have to determine, okay, what's the best use of our resources and how much does it really matter for us to find a fourth big just to like give another big body and fill in the gap for Tristan Thompson as he continues to work through his suspension. And I think when the Cavs look at it that way, Ethan, they're going to say to themselves, it would be better for us to use our resources on a three and D type player, or maybe even a more reliable, more veteran backup point guard. All right, Chris, next question. What has caused Donovan Mitchell's mindset change from hero ball to respecting the game like LeBron. Has he finally bought into this team first philosophy as his assist count has dramatically increased? Where did this hero ball Donovan Mitchell stuff even come from? (laughs) Hey, Chris, I just get paid to read the questions. Yeah, but it's a narrative that I just don't understand. Like, who has labeled Donovan as somebody who his entire game is predicated on hero ball? It just doesn't make sense to me. Like, everything about Donovan since coming into the NBA will point to a guy who impacts winning at the highest level. Now, look, he's had his playoff failures. He's been outplayed in back-to-back playoff series by Jalen Brunson. Once when Donovan was in Utah and Brunson was with Dallas, and most recently when Donovan was here in Cleveland and Brunson remains in New York. But it's like throughout the course of Donovan's career, he has been to the playoffs every single season. He wins everywhere he's been. Like the Utah team that he joined was still trying to figure out like how to move past the whole Gordon Hayward situation And not a lot of people expected much from Utah in Donovan's rookie season. And they were wondering what kind of player is he going to be for this franchise. And he helps them get to the playoffs. And he helps them rise to near the top of the Western Conference. And again, basketball is a team sport. This isn't tennis. This isn't golf. So it wasn't solely Donovan Mitchell in Utah. There were other guys that were there too that were very, very important. Just like here in Cleveland, there are other guys here that are very, very important. And it wasn't solely because of Donovan that the Cavs were able to go from play-in team that won 44 games and got bounced by Atlanta and Brooklyn in the play-in tournament to 51 wins, home court advantage, and a playoff appearance for the first time in five years. Like, other guys were part of that as well. But it shows you that his play style, it lends itself to winning basketball. Like, does he score? Sure. Is he going to take a high volume of shots? Yes, of course, because he's a great player and you want him taking that many shots because he's going to make them at a pretty good rate. Throughout the course of his career, he's 45% from the field, 36% from three-point range. He's been better than that since coming to the Cavs, despite being a high-volume scoring type guy. But, like, there's nothing about his game that leads me to believe that he plays hero ball, or he's some kind of ball hog, or he can't blend into the team fabric, or his game doesn't translate to winning. There's just no evidence of that. Yeah, Chris, I mean, you think of the great players of every team who are asked to take big shots, who are asked to control the offense, who are asked to dominate the ball, because if that's in their skill set, then that's how it's going to impact winning on a higher scale. And you look at what Donovan has already been able to do with the Cavs team 
that was struggling before you got here. There isn't hero ball when you are able to come to a team that is asking you to be the closer of a team and say, well, I guess we're not winning because you aren't taking those shots or you're not making the shots, but we don't want you to be a hero ball player. Like you have to pick a side. There's not both of those. It's one or the other. Again, I, I don't know. I don't know where that narrative comes from. Like if you want to say that Donovan is somebody who throughout the course of his career has come up short in the playoffs and he hasn't played up to his standard in the playoffs, then okay. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair critique of him. I think that's something that he's going to have to show he can win at the highest level. At some point in his career, he's going to have to show that. But like the hero ball thing, like there is nothing that backs that up. That's bizarre to me. All right, Chris, the subtexters are trying to get weird. Their words, not (laughs) mine. And the question is, why couldn't they play Garland like they do Merrill for 10 minutes a game, just hunting off ball for threes? If they both did that at the same time, who do they guard? I want to start with this one, Chris, because first and foremost, In my head, Sam Merrill's a better straight-up three-point shooter than Darius Garland, one. Two, you're talking about if they both did that at the same time. Have you not seen Sam Merrill on the court with Max Struess? Have you not seen Sam Merrill on the court with George Niang? Like, Sam Merrill has a higher prowess of coming off ball screens and shooting the ball at a higher percentage. Like, that is his game. Every player has a unique skill set and something that they are comfortable doing. Sam is great at coming off ball screens and hitting threes. And that's something that he works religiously on. You see him doing that at practice. You see him doing that before games. So sure, Darius is good at shooting threes. Fine. That's a fine thing to say. But you can't compare the two players when Darius's game is switched from fast to slow, from slow to fast, get to the paint, get to the interior, confuse the defense, and then get a bucket, whether in the mid-range or at the basket, or dribble into a three when he hesitates and makes the defense confused. Like, coming off screens and making those shots is something that Darius can do. Is it something that he is proficient in? Not as much. Right. I mean, you hit on it. Everybody has a different skill set. And Darius Garland is not Sam Merrill. He doesn't have the same skill set. He doesn't have the same background. He isn't the same type of player. It would be like asking the question of like, hey, during the Cavs tenure, why couldn't Kyrie play more like Kyle Korver? Because that's not his game. Because that's not what makes him an elite player. Kyle Korver became an elite player because he understood the nuances of navigating ball screens and moving without the basketball, and sharp cuts, elite footwork coming off of pin downs, catch and shoots, things like that. Like everybody has their own thing where they're going to excel. And for Darius Garland, he is an elite pick and roll player. That's who he's been his entire life. That's who he was in college for the brief time that he was in Vanderbilt, and that's who he's been in Cleveland. So telling Darius to completely change that style, the thing that makes him elite, taking that away from him, 
and asking him to become somebody or mirror somebody that he's not. It's just not going to happen. He's not Steph Curry, right? He's not Sam Merrill. There's a reason why Sam Merrill and Max Struess often work out together. And there's a reason why both of those guys are top three in the NBA, two and three, by the way, in terms of off-ball cuts per game, because that's what makes them so effective. That's how they've learned how to get themselves open. That's how they've learned how to carve a role in the NBA and be effective within the fabric of the team. But like, even though Darius can catch and shoot, and even though at times he's going to have to learn how to be better without the ball in his hands, you can't just say like, hey, you're a good three-point shooter, so start following Steph Curry and Sam Merrill and Duncan Robinson and Max Struess and turn into those guys. He isn't that guy. He needs to be Darius Garland. That's why the Cavs gave him the richest contract in franchise history. That's why he can be so devastating in a lineup with Donovan Mitchell because of the pressure that he puts on a defense in a different way. He puts pressure on a defense with the dribble, attacking the paint, definitely running pick and roll with a great pick and roll partner in Jared Allen or Evan Mobley. That's how Darius has to play for him to be most comfortable and most effective, and I think for the Cavs to be most effective. It would be like asking Evan Mobley to be Dean Wade and George Niang. Like, that's not his skill set right now at this point of his career. Chris, this is a overall question that I put together from the subtexters because it was mentioned a good amount of times, and it's concerning Isaac Okoro's playing time and how he'll still be utilized with the roster at nearly full strength, and if it would be worth trying Darius off the bench. This is not going to happen. There is not enough evidence that the Cavs have that they would be better by taking Darius out of the starting lineup or limiting his time on the court with Donovan Mitchell. Like, if the Cavs are going to reach their full potential, they need Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland to be great at the same time. That was the vision that they had in their mind when they went out and traded for Donovan Mitchell, was these guys together becoming the most dynamic backcourt tandem in the entire NBA. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But the Cavs have to figure out if it can happen more consistently. And they're committed to that. And they should be committed to that because that's their best path to being an elite offensive team. That doesn't mean that every single minute that the Cavs play a basketball game, all 48, that Darius and Donovan have to be on the court together. It doesn't mean that, but they need to maximize the moments with Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell together. And the numbers point to them working well together. That's the other thing. Like you make a change because you feel like something doesn't work or something could potentially work better. I just don't think there's a pairing out there that is going to be consistently better for the Cavs than Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland together in that starting lineup flanked by the other three members of the team. And like the other thing that you have to worry about too, is if you do want to go with Isaac Okoro in the starting lineup, (laughs) you basically have three non-shooters in your starting five. And stylistically, it would be very difficult to create the kind of movement, to create the kind of shots. The profile that the Cavs have had over the last month, month and a half would be very, very different. The three-point attempts would probably go down. The court would be more congested. It would make things tougher on Donovan Mitchell. I just think Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Isaac Okoro is a hard way to consistently get by, especially if you're thinking to yourself like, 
how can we maximize this roster so we're most capable of getting out of the first round of the playoffs? Like, I think that's how the Cavs have to view things. Like, in the big picture, what is going to give us the best pathway to getting out of the first round of the playoffs? And I just think in that kind of environment, it would be far too easy on an opposing defense with Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, and Isaac Okoro on the court at the same time. Like defenses would just load up on Donovan Mitchell. They would load up on Max Struess. I just don't think it would get the kind of rewards that fans seem to think that they would on offense. Defense, like you're talking about some nastiness, obviously. But offensively, I think the Cavs would lose a little bit too much. Yeah, I agree. And we mentioned how much depth the Cavs would have And I don't know if there are second units that are able to say that if they were to lose two of their best players and swapped in two defensive-minded players that they would have gone on the same run that the Cavs did. So that just proves what kind of bench the Cavs have, and that's what they went for this offseason and what they needed to try and get past the first round of the playoffs. I also want to point out this number, okay, because I I just think too many people are overlooking this. In 363 total minutes together this season, the Cavs have a net rating of 9.7 with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland on the court together. That is damn good. That is something that you want to continue to tap into. That is something that you want to continue to build on. And if we go back to last year, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland played about 1,500 minutes together, okay? 1,500. They had a net rating of 8.0. So there just isn't any evidence, statistically anyway, that backs up these two guys not being able to work together and the Cavs not being good with both of those guys on the floor together. All right, Chris, with all that being said, that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and me by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word stop. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from me and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.